If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, I'm excited today to be joined again by Christina Edwards and Colleen Carroll as we present part two of the NX Unite panel on increasing operational efficiency. In part two of this discussion, we dive even deeper into techniques, tools, and frankly, to some extent even the philosophy of how we improve operations in our organizations and why we do it. Because let's face it, we don't do it just to become more efficient. We do it so that we can treat our staff better, so that we can better serve our clients and we can be better partners to all of the organizations that are relying on us. So if you missed the first part of our panel discussion with Christina Edwards, be sure to go back and give it a listen. Let me also just do a quick reminder about NX Unite. NX Unite connects leaders in the mission-driven space with the resources and the people they need for their organization to thrive. From hosting panels with industry experts to providing curated listings of nonprofit learning opportunities, NX Unite helps organizations get their important questions answered. Gain insight, share knowledge, and connect with the people you need to accomplish your mission. NX Unite brings nonprofit leaders together in an unstoppable community that facilitates valuable connections. As I promised you, friends, in this episode, we are going to be diving even deeper into this topic. We'll be discussing everything from best practices for creating a culture of operational excellence to tools and techniques for being connected to our teams while having a good work-life integration. So, my friends, if you're ready to take your nonprofit to the next level and make a greater impact in your community, then you will not want to miss this episode. Let's get started. Uh, With this next question, I realized I kind of inadvertently combined it with the question before, Uh, but the question originally was what tools or resources are out there for nonprofit teams to feel more efficient and feel supported 
please feel free to include more tools. I know Christina, you already started mentioning some, but also maybe some kind of resources for industry best practices. I feel like the industry can kind of feel like it's always changing. There's always new information. Do you have any publications or resources that you're like, these are great places to turn to when you're trying to figure out what I should do next? I think that could be a great thing to include in this question. Dolph, can I have you start us off with this one? Uh, absolutely. And, and I, I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record. I actually think before you look at new tools, look at the tools you already have. Most of us are not fully utilizing the tools that we already have. And so, you know, there could be a little bit of a learning curve. And so we've got to learn how to do it. But an example I'll give you is Office 365. And, and a lot of nonprofits use Office 365 or, or Google Suite. Both have very similar tools. But Office 365 has this really powerful tool called Power Automate. And, you know, shame on me. I've used Office 365 for years. I only discovered Power Automate like 18 months ago two years ago, and Power Automate has changed my life. And so, so as an example, we all have to do um, expense reimbursement forms and that kind of thing, and we do, we do in our consulting practices as well. And so I use Power Automate so that when an email comes in that's a receipt, whether or not it shows up as an attachment or just an email, Power Automate recognizes it as a receipt automatically converts it to a PDF, saves it into my receipt folder for the current month. So that, that yeah, so then when I have to do my yes. expense report, when I have to do my expense report, it's all just there in my folder. And if I've got like 40 expense items, I maybe still have to go and find three or four, but 90% of them are there. But but again, to me, like, like I've had Office 365 for years. I just didn't, I didn't utilize it as well as I could have. The other one I'll say is Excel, uh, people so underutilize Excel. Like you can do macros, you can do pivot tables, and and we joke at Successful Nonprofits that we pivot table. By the way, I've, I've been using Excel. Again, I'm going to date myself. I've been using Excel even before Excel. I used Lotus One Two Three Notes for DOS. So 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 I've been using Excel for a long, 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 long time. I only learned how to pivot table six years ago, and when I did, I had this moment when I thought I could have saved myself hundreds of hours had I just learned how to pivot table when Excel for Windows came out. I love that. It's like first, before you meet a new shiny brand new thing that just came out from Silicon Valley, right? Like what is actually right here? And I like to think of too, when you are thinking about adopting new tech is finding tech that plays nice with your existing tech, right? So there are certain integrations with your CRM or with your online fundraising software. One of the decisions I like to make is do they already have an integration so that they play nice the way that you talked about? I mean, yours was just internal uh, as far as um, receipts and consultants and things like that. So that's so cool. So it's like, what is the low, lowest hanging fruit you can accomplish? I'll share one thing that I think works really well for whether you have like a set weekly team meeting or a one-on-one meeting with your team or with somebody, a staff member. I actually like to go into that meeting prepared to know what's the problem, what do they want to talk about, what are some of the solutions on the table, and you can create a simple form for that. You can do that a couple of different ways, but just so you're not hopping on, imagine that I'm hopping on with um, somebody on my team and she's scheduled a call with me and I have no idea. It's called check-in. That's a terrible use of everybody's time. I should know. Like, what are we checking in about? Is this a review? Is this about the October fundraiser? What are we checking in about? And has she done some upfront work to say, here are the three things that I want on this agenda today. And so you're actually saving, I would say, about 20 minutes off that meeting for that. And trying to cap your meetings too. You can try and cap them. I kind of joke that that my discovery calls are 30 minutes and I typically go 40 minutes. And I'm like, 
I should really make them 40 minutes. But I think it's internally, I'm trying to get to 30 minutes. It's like how we're, I'm giving myself and trying to give, you know, prospective clients some guardrails of like, let's see if what we can do at 30 minutes and trying to give yourself a container of time of what can we accomplish in a, in a container of time can help. There's a couple email hacks that I've started using in the last 18 months that have, that have changed the game for me. And one of those is I've created multiple signatures. And the reason is I have found that about half of the email that I have to respond to falls into four or five categories. And so, and, and so I have just some signatures that help me respond to those. And so as an example, you know, we have a podcast. And so there will be times that a PR person will send us an email, send me an email or send my colleague Lexi an email that says, hey, you know, we want to pitch this person for the podcast. And so, so essentially, I have a signature for that that says, okay, if you want to pitch someone, here's what we're looking for. Here's the form you need to go fill out so that I'm not typing it over and over and over and over again. I, I literally just, just choose the signature, put their name at the top, click send. So something else that I've done in email that, again, is, for me has been a real game changer you might think, well, this only takes five minutes a day, but we have to remember to do it. And so, um, and so my spam filter, I've actually put the highest level on my spam filter. So people do go to my spam when I do not intend for them to. But instead of checking my spam, I have an auto reply on my spam filter. And the auto reply says, hey, Office 365 flagged you as spam. If you're not spam, please send me a text message or call me. And my assumption, I don't put this in there. My assumption is if you're not spam, you have my phone number. And so you, you can call me. Um, and about, about two or three times a month, I'll get someone who will send me a text message or call and say, hey, Dolph, I, w- I went into your spam. And then I'll go and I'll find them and I'll safe list them. But otherwise, like I- I've just set my spam to delete once every 30 days and I don't have to worry about it anymore. I think that is super helpful guidance. Uh, anything to get one less email in my inbox, I feel like. Well, just one one less sounds good to me. All right, this is my last question before I'm going to kind of officially turn it over to the audience and the registration questions and everything. So again, Submit those questions. Otherwise, I'm just going to ask my own questions and answer all of my my most pressing things. But I do want to make sure our audience gets what they need. Um, Christina, I'm going to have you start us off uh, with this one. I'm I'm going a little big and going a little grand with this last question. It's what do you see as the future of nonprofit operations, and how can our nonprofits get ahead today? So. I come from the for-profit world. So that is that is basically my entire entrepreneurship life from 2007 on. I have been a small business owner, worked with small businesses. Along the way, started working with nonprofits and here I am. And one of the biggest things that I saw and irritated me was why aren't nonprofits doing these things over here that all these for-profits are doing that are making them tons of money, saving them tons of time and allowing them to grow. So that's kind of the lens that I use. And one of the biggest pieces that I think we hopefully could all agree on is sort of this low overhead myth that we've all been told and that many, many organizations continue to continue to tell, which is keeping, like there's the piece about the low overhead myth, but it's also keeping the nonprofit small. It is keeping the nonprofit organization from growing because it's just keeping their low overhead is keeping them from hiring more people, right? Which is keeping them from growing. So it's kind of like this, this self-fulfilling machine. And I would love, I, I think it, it, it gets solved in a couple of different ways. One of the pieces, one of the ways we help combat the idea of like, well, our, our expenses are this small because we barely pay anybody anything. And most of our, Most of our staff is volunteer led like that. We shouldn't be proud of that. 
not on year 10. Maybe, maybe we're scrappy in year one, but not on year 10. So there's that piece of it is really about educating donors and educating donors is lots of conversations. It's in your marketing. It's in your email newsletter. It's in your direct mail pieces. It's, it's saying it's really important that we pay our staff the way that I want a director of marketing to get a salary that they could go get in the for-profit sector to work for a nonprofit. And what happens is they get, we get this powerhouse director of marketing work for this nonprofit. Then they get tired of being paid half of what they could go get in the for-profit sector and they leave. And then what is the cost of that, right? Over a period of time. So it's really important for us to like shift that model of it not being about super low overhead. And the other piece of it that really bugs me is the idea of we want to pay people a living wage because I'm like, when did that become the benchmark? Like, let's not make that the benchmark. We want to pay people well. We want to pay people a wage that they can afford daycare and they can afford to go on a vacation, like not just have a staycation to go on a vacation. Again, all of that means that they show up here well-rested. They stay here longer. We get, they, we get rid of that churn problem, which means, dear donor, that you get to be stewarded longer. You, we get to come up with really creative ideas. Something that's really important to me is the idea of like not doing your marketing and comms like every other nonprofit. And those ideas don't come when you're when your employees are burnt out. Like those ideas come, my best ideas come when I'm on vacation, when I'm reading a book, when I'm out for a walk. And then I'm like, ooh, I gotta create this. Ooh, I gotta do this course. So we have to give people the freedom to like have some time off, not burn them out, and to pay them well enough. And that starts, I guess it starts from the top down. It's like the top saying, yes, we wanna do this, and then explaining out to all the donors and all the funders and all the important people, why it's really, really important that when we put it in that annual report and our piece of the pie looks bigger this year, that's actually good news. That's good news. So that's what I got. Wonderful. Dolph, what do you see as the future and how can we prepare? Once again, Christine and I are, are have very, very similar answers. The future of nonprofit operations is that our operations have to mirror and match our values. I'm about to get on a soapbox here, so let me just apologize. But I am so tired of organizations that say we value equity, diversity, and inclusion. And we want a diverse workforce, but we want to pay as little as possible. Yep. All of those things can exist on the same plane. They just can't. I'm tired of organizations that say we, we value the environment and we really want a world where everybody is trying to reduce their carbon footprint. But they're not talking to funders about solar panels on their roof. They're not talking to funders about making their mobile van an electric van or at least a hybrid, because oh, that would cost too much and then we can't do more. So one of the things that I believe we have to see is, is when we talk about operations, they need to match and mirror our values, but that starts in the budgeting process. And when we're talking with our board, and again, this is often when you're the lead finance person or the chief executive, when you're talking to your board about the budget, you need to be clear, this is a values conversation. What are our values as an organization? How much are we going to pay people? What will their benefits be? Are we going to offer a retirement package whether or not someone contributes to it? And again, if we believe that climate change is real, and if we believe that we all have an obligation to reduce that, what are we as an organization doing? Whether or not that's our mission, like this is where our values are. So let's start with the budgeting process and let's take it to operations. So as I said, I promise you, Christina, you and I will be really similar. 
And transparency, we did not talk before this. So we just, we're just in each other's heads today. I love it. Yes. But but we did discover that we used to live about two miles from each other yes, in, two we very, <laughs> in, in two very progressive neighborhoods. Yes. Wonderful. You're making my life as a moderator very easy by how much you all are clicking and communicating and being on the same page. So I am grateful. Awesome. I'm going to switch to some questions that we've gotten in the chat. This is just a very quick one for you, Dolph. Uh, do you happen to know whether Google Suite has a functionality like Power Automate? That was a question coming in. I don't, but I'd be shocked if they did not. Google works really hard to, to keep up with Office 365. Yep, I agree. Awesome. Uh, and then, Dolph, I'll have you start us off with this other question from the audience, which is, how do you help train your staff to have a balance in daily tasks and remain efficient with kind of their daily work? So I think there's some things that we can do that are modeling, and I think there's some things that we can do that are structural. So the thing that we can do that's modeling is, you know, if we want our staff to have a balance with daily work, we shouldn't be emailing them at 7.30 at night. And by the way, both Gmail and Office 365, if you're someone who likes to work at 7.30 at night, that's great, but you can schedule emails to show up at 9.30 the next morning. Having said that, no direct report wants to get 12 emails from you at 9.30 in the morning. That's going to be overwhelming. And once again, you're going to disrupt their ability to have a balanced work life, right? So so we also need to do that selectively. But again, like we can model that behavior. We can take our vacations. We, you know, we can go for a walk at lunch or we can go to the gym in the middle of the day. So we model it. But then there's also some things we can do structurally. I, I I'll give this one quick example. Part of what I do is I also do interim executive director engagements through successful nonprofits. And a few years ago, I was doing an interim engagement for an HIV AIDS healthcare organization. They had about 70 employees and the equivalent of their director of operations uh, who'd been there 15 years has said to me, you know, Dolph, I'm going on vacation. And I said, great, glad you're going. Don't check email. And he said, Dolph, I've always checked email on vacation. I check it every day. And I'm like, no, you should not check email on vacation. He says, Dolph, what happens if, if an important email comes in? I was like, well, then you can decide who you're going to forward your email to. He's like, Dolph, I can't do that. And so I ended up saying to this person, well, here's what we're going to do. You're going to decide who you're going to forward your email to. We're going to forward it to that person. And then we're going to change your password. And you can get your new password when you come back from vacation. This person came back and said, Dolph, I've never had such a good vacation. <laughs> Will you please make sure that the, the next permanent executive director always does this for me? You know, but like, like sometimes we just get stuck in these patterns and we, we, we have to help someone break out of it. And so sometimes, sometimes we need to create new structure. Sometimes we're modeling. Oh my gosh, I love that. That was like, you, you, you had to be the parent in that situation where you're like, we're doing this. You're going on vacation. And it, it is, it's like leading by example. And, and part of it is that is I'm someone who I will take an hour lunch, right? And you as the, as the leader needs to be doing that versus being the person who's always working through lunch, right? The other piece of it is, is that accountability piece of when your staff isn't doing that, where, where, where do they need help? Why aren't they doing that? Having, having a touch point, having a conversation with them, how can you help, right? with some of those pieces. And ask me the question originally one more time, Colleen. Totally. How do you help train your staff to have a balance in their daily tasks and their time management? Okay. So the other piece, thank you, was for me, my marketer lens and really online fundraising, I like to batch. So I never want you to say, on Monday, I post on social media Monday's content. On Tuesday, I decide what to post on TV. No. Like take one day, take two hours, plan the entire week, schedule it in that whole two hour period 
and don't look at it. So as much as you can automate and schedule and batch, because I think the way my brain works is I kind of get in the zone on one specific thing. We could do that for sure for a fundraiser or say you're only working on monthly giving. So it's like, I've got my monthly giving hat on. What is the messaging around that? Let me do everything I need for monthly giving. I'll schedule out the social posts. I'll go ahead and schedule out the emails that need to go out for that. And then let me switch hats because the cost of that task switching, it just gets super clunky. So I think that's the other piece. And then just the word balance in general is one of those where I feel like there is a seeking of balance that sometimes is just ultimately unachievable. So I would just reframe balance as like, all right, how can I time block? How can I batch? How can I be more efficient? Because I think it's really hard sometimes to like find work-life balance and that's okay. So the balance I would shoot for is maybe more efficient, more enjoyment, and then more like specific on and off. Like, yeah, you know what? When you leave your desk for the day, don't check your email again until the morning, which half the time is our own expectations. Hey, I got to check my email. And less of our boss saying, you got to check your email. So it's sometimes too is retraining ourselves to put the work away. And if I could just jump in real quick also, Christine, and I actually said this to a coaching client yesterday, and sometimes you just have to take email off your phone. Yeah. I had to take LinkedIn off my phone because I was like, oh, what's going on over there? Like, what's what's everybody talking about? I mean, whatever it is, the thing is, like, you just got to do it. Maybe you can ha- I can have it back later. But right now, whatever the thing is that you're just poking your head around, like, that's really not ultimately where you want to be, take it off. I've at times had to take my work calendar off my phone because I'd find myself on like Saturday, Sunday being like, what does my Monday look like? What's what's going to be happening? And I was like, no, we're, we're not doing that. Perfect. Awesome. Well, we are almost at the end of time. I'm going to sneak in one final question that came in via registration uh, because I think it, it lines with a lot of the things we've already been talking about um, is how to keep up this efficiency in a remote workplace. I don't know what either of you all are working in right now, but I know we had a panel yesterday that was all about hybrid and virtual work. And I know a lot of nonprofits are still in a hybrid remote setting. So do either of you have any advice? Uh, Christina, we'll start with you on kind of keeping up efficiency with our team in a remote setting. So I think there's a couple of different pieces to that. For me, I have, I'm pretty much always remote. So a lot of that piece is whether I'm doing client work, working internally on my business, a lot of that is just self-discipline. I time block, I batch. If I have something on my calendar, like I got to send my accountant some stuff. I put it on, I already put it on my calendar because I don't feel like doing it. So I already decided I'm doing it tomorrow. Like it's on my calendar at like one o'clock. I got to send them all my stuff to reconcile, right? So it's like I decide and then tomorrow at one o'clock, I will inevitably not want to go do it, but I have made a commitment to myself and that helps keep me on track. So it's like, I just do it. I just go. Um, and as far as the, I think it can be challenging. Like, how do you really connect and check in with your staff, your team, your contractors when you can't go have coffee with them? And I think part of that is about carving out moments of, it doesn't always have to be like a virtual coffee, but it can be a Voxer, like a voice message, a WhatsApp of like, Hey, how are you? Like people want to feel seen and not just like worker bees. And I like to know, like, you know, how's your kid? What are you up to? Who just turned, who had a birthday? Like having those human moments versus I think there is a little bit of, now I know we're trying to be efficient, but at the beginning of a Zoom call, I like a moment of like, how was your weekend? And don't just say good. How is it really? Like share a win, share a high, share a low. It helps build that trust. Um, So as long as, you know, if it's a longer conversation, 
saying, let's, let's press pause. Let's do like a Zoom coffee at four o'clock today. And I want to hear more about that. I think that helps that, that peace, that trust. And, and I'll say like, if we're talking all remote, I actually think all, all remote and being efficient all remote is easier than hybrid. I, I think hybrid is the most difficult, honestly. But if we're talking all remote, it's successful nonprofits, we're all remote. There, there's a couple of us that are W-2 employees and a few contractors. And some of us are located in the Atlanta area and others are not. And what we have found really works, and I'll say we're not all in the same time zone, and both my colleague Lexi and I travel. And so like, while, while she and I are both located in Metro Atlanta, today I'm in San Diego for a client and she's in Pittsburgh for a client. We often find ourselves remote and in different time zones. And what we have found is that being really clear about our availability and having regularly scheduled check-ins, but also being very clear like, okay, for, for example, when I'm on the West Coast, the earliest I'll do anything is 10 a.m. Eastern time because I, I don't. While I might be up at 5 a.m., I don't want to be talking to anyone at 5 a.m. Um, so I'm so I'm really clear. Like you know, like my availability starts at, at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Also, coming up with systems so that people can just ping us and Slack is good for that. Again, like we fully adopted Office 365. We found Teams to be amazing for that because you know if one of us is at our desk and we're available, we just note that on Teams. Someone can start a video call, a chat, whatever with us, and it's not unlike just walking down the hall and and, and talking to a coworker. So those are the things that that we have found that works really well. And and I will say we we live in a world with a lot of technology that that helps us be efficient. All right, we are almost at the end, so I'm going to kind of sneak in one final speed round question just so we hear from each of you one last time. Um, today, we dedicated this hour to talking about all things nonprofit team efficiency. Uh, we probably could have spent two or three hours, but that would not have been very efficient of us, so we will not do that on this topic. But I'd love to hear from you. What are some other topics or conversations that you hope nonprofits will be thinking about in the coming months? Maybe they're topics that could be a future panel, but even just things that we should be kind of keeping at the front of our mind maybe talking about our friends in the space with. Christina, can I have you start us off with this one? So I hosted a class earlier this year just about like my top trends for the year, the places to spend time, the places to stop spending time. And at the top of my list is like an oldie, but a goodie and so important, which is email marketing. Your email list is your asset. It is a profitable asset that most organizations, I haven't really met one that I'm like, oh, you're just completely rocking and rolling on your email marketing strategy. So I would love to see every single nonprofit really turn up the volume on not only how often they're emailing, but the quality of the content and really the voice. I have an entire program about that called Easy Emails for Impact. So that's why it's in my brain. So that's that's really a big one. I also feel like showing up online is really, really important. And it doesn't mean that you have to start a TikTok and a Snapchat. It means that you need to carve out a few places that your organization is present often and has compelling content often for people to hear about you, for your awareness to, you know, uh, to go through that funnel process of, you know, no like and trust. Wonderful. Dolph, over to you. Any topics or conversations we need to be having? Absolutely. I think there's a couple. One is how do we get the most from our boards, especially as we move into whatever this next phase of the of the pandemic is? I think during COVID, a lot of boards ended up, frankly, being less active than they had been. And a lot of boards were not that active to begin with. And so and so we're we're entering this next phase of the pandemic where 
the expectations of our boards are, are lower than ever before. And much like some of us, I'm one of those that gained the, the quarantine 13. Unless I'm willing to do something different so that I lose some of that quarantine 13, guess what? It'll soon turn into a quarantine 50. And it's the same with our boards. So that's the first thing that I would be thinking about. And then the second is, is leadership transition. And I think this is true whether we're talking at the board level or the staff level. We are starting to see a crisis in leadership transition in the nonprofit sector. And unless we as a sector and we as individual organizations are, are thinking about how we're going to deal with it, we are going to find ourselves in a very bad place in the next five years. All right. With that, we've reached the end of our panel. I want to give a big thank you to both of our panelists. If we were in an in-person setting, I know there'd be a round of applause. So know that I'm just sending that to you emotionally in our virtual space. I do also want to thank everyone who attended today's panel. I hope you enjoyed yourself. You learned something and uh, there's something that you can kind of take with you and help you with the work that you are doing. We have a packed winter of panels ahead of us. So please keep an eye out on the NX Unite website, NX Unite LinkedIn, or you can even find me on LinkedIn. I'll make sure you're staying up to date on the panels. We have panels on topics like year-end giving reflection, the power of corporate social responsibility, generosity in the nonprofit world, and more. So there's so much there. We'd love to have you. And just a quick little plug, if you are going to join us for future NX Unite panels, I recommend making a free NX Unite account. Again, totally free, because then when you sign up for panels, you can start earning what's called cost coins. When you amass enough of those, you can redeem them for some discounts on industry software, some free consultations with some of our friends in the industry. So again, if you're going to be spending time with us anyway, you're going to be joining us for future panels, I want you to be getting that extra benefit as well. So that's just my quick little plug to sign up for NX Unite, but mostly just a big thank you to everyone. Big thank you again to our panelists. And I hope you all have a nice rest of your day. And friends, that brings our panel discussion on increasing operational efficiency in nonprofits to a close. I hope you found this episode to be as valuable and insightful as the first one. Thank you especially to Christina Edwards for joining me in this conversation and sharing her expertise with us. She is also a consultant, and we are going to be linking to her in the show notes. And grateful thanks to NX Unite and Colleen Carroll for inviting me to participate on this panel. We'll be sharing NX Unite's URL in the show notes as well. But the biggest thank you is to you, my friends, for downloading and listening to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. You are literally the reason that we hit the record button and that we produce a podcast every week. So if you enjoyed this episode and you want to help grow the listenership so there'll be more people out there like you who get benefit from the podcast, please take a moment to rate, review, and share the podcast with your colleagues and friends. Your feedback and your support helps us reach more nonprofit board members and professionals, and it helps us make an even greater impact on the world. And also, be sure to visit our website, SuccessfulNonprofits.com, where you will find not just today's show notes with links to Christina Edwards and NX Unite, but also tons of resources and tools to help you on your nonprofit journey. Thank you again, my friends, for listening to the podcast. That is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And the lawyers make me say it. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If that is what you need, please find a licensed, qualified professional in your area and get the counsel that you need.